All right, our scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 14. This morning can be found on page 977 in your pew Bibles. Uh, as you turn there, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we acknowledge that your word is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. Your word exposes us for what we really are. So with great awe and humility, we bow before your word. Speak to us, convict us, cleanse us, and equip us to obey your will. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. Therefore it says, when he ascended on the high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended in, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for, bu for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the, wave, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The word of God for the people of God. <laughs> the man who probably had the most impact on my spiritual life growing up, um, kind of junior high, high school, college years, was a man, Thomas Linford Neighbors. He was uh, officially known as Linny. He was an uh, elder in our congregation, and um, we decided that we would, as the youth of the congregation, appoint him as our youth director. And he um, obliged with us at the age of 68 or 69. He was our youth leader, and it was a great thing. Um, elders take note the, the impact of elders' ministry on someone's life as he would um, obviously had already made a connection with us kids that we decided, you need to do this. Um, for the most part, youth ministry growing up looked like Lenny getting us at church before evening worship, taking us to Hardee's and buying us um, milkshakes or Cokes and talking. Probably more important, listening. Spending time with us, and uh, we, we, I don't remember Bible studies, but I remember a lot of wisdom. There was, there was Bible studies that went in at other, other times. Uh, we made sure that happened, so there was a growing in knowledge, but it was a lot of listening. And then uh, Lenny got the idea that he was going to uh, recruit us um, uh, to go um, serve others. We, uh, he, it was a clown ministry. I don't talk a lot about this in my background. <laughs> But I realized how amazing this man was to have taken some teenagers and gotten them to dress up as clowns and go visit nursing homes, go visit kids. And one of the things he taught us was to serve others, to love others. And it was kind of amazing. Um, I feel like I have a lot of answers to questions after the service. We will handle them <laughs> as they come. But one of, the, one of the wisest things Lenny ever told me that just stuck with me and I passed on to others is uh, when we were going to college, he said, 
um, and he, he had heard this from somebody else, was don't stop growing in your knowledge of the Lord and of your faith. He said what happens is people go away with an elementary Sunday school understanding of the faith, and they, they go off and start getting hit with adult questions. They, they get questions at college, as many of us were, were hit with, and life kind of brings up things, but they haven't really grown in their understanding so that what happens is you're trying to deal with adult-level questions with children-level answers, what you learned in Sunday school. What you learned as a child in Sunday school is not wrong. It's just not the fullness of it. What Lenny was telling us is what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians. We, we read the part that we... Um, looked at last week, but I, I wanted to get it so that we didn't just start with the object. But the object of growing um, uh, the gifts that God has given us to equip the saints for the work of ministry, remember that's equipping you to be building up the body, and the goal is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children. In other words, the goal of you building up, equipping and one of us, uh, one of another, building one another up and, and growing in the faith is so that we all grow into maturity and to a mature unity of faith, a mature understanding of the faith, and that we grow. So there's a sense in which all that we're growing into, we already have. Earlier in this passage, I was glad Baker read it, that, that we um, are to maintain the unity of the faith. If you maintain something, you already have it. So Paul is saying you have this unity, and now he's saying you're going to grow up into this unity. So there's a sense in which we have a unity, but we're continuing to grow into that reality in the same way that Paul has told us that his prayer is that you may know the love of God, that you may know the abundant mercies for us, and that you may know his goodness. And, and this is what he's saying is that you may grow up until you have the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, you already know it. He's telling you. But maturity means we're growing into this knowledge. We're, we're more and more adapting it into our lives. We're more and more being shaped by it until we grow up and we become mature, until we're grown, until we're in the fullness. And so there's a sense in which it's not that you're progressing and becoming something different. It's not like there's a um, um, Christians learn this basic gospel and then you move and you become um, learning to a one Christianity and then you grow and learn greater Christianity. You continue to grow deeper and deeper, filling in to what we already have and what we already know. We're, we're incorporating all this. Uh, the The picture might be as though someone has an inheritance as a minor, but they have to grow into the point when they really have control of it. Or maybe closer to home for some of us, you hear some rumbling in your closet, and you go and you find a toddler wearing your shoes, maybe your jacket. They, they want to kind of be like mommy or be like daddy, and... I think most of the time that happens, the shoes are on the wrong feet. They're stumbling around trying to keep them on, and, and I'm sure you've, you've had this experience. And then you blink your eye, and your son is wearing your shoes, and they're a little small for him. 
they're growing into something. Is that, that's kind of the picture is you have this reality of this unity. You have this reality of who you are in Christ, and you have the gospel. And what God wants us to do is receive that inheritance. He wants us to mature and grow into the fullness of what we have. So that basic gospel, the fact that we do not earn our position with God, that we recognize that we have failed to live up to God's standards. We have not done what he's called us to do. And yet, when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we trust him to have taken all of the rotten stuff in our life and taken it and paid for it on the cross and given us his goodness so that when we trust in him, we're united with him and we are children of God, that, that is the reality that we grow into that the newest believer can understand the basics, but the oldest saint is still incorporating and still maturing and still filling out the shoes that God has given them. So that is the goal and the purpose, and that we are growing into this, that all of our life is a maturing in the faith of, of knowing what it means to follow Jesus, of knowing what it means to be loved by him, to, to live out of the grace that he has given us. I want us to note verse 13, um, because we are very used to thinking of me, myself, and I, and we have been trained to think of ourselves first, primarily, and our own needs and our own wishes and our own desires. um, Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith. The Christian life is not a life where you just kind of take truth and apply it to your life and you walk out on your own and it's you and Jesus. Paul says the goal is that we all attain maturity. That as we become part of this body, as we become part of this kingdom, I suddenly have an obligation to my brother and sister. That it's not enough that I'm trying to grow in holiness and I'm trying to do what's right and I'm trying to learn more. But I'm walking alongside others. My goal is not just that I mature, but that we all mature. That we want to encourage one another and provoking one another to good works. We're looking at brothers and sisters and saying, you know, I see this gift in you, and I encourage you to use that. We're hoping others and we're inviting others to say, you know, um, I've noticed this about you, and you might need to bring that before God. Is this something that you really need to be doing? That we um, encourage one another as we read Scripture, as we um, just live life together and share one another's burdens and pray for one another's. You are your brother's keeper. We have an obligation to one another, so we can't just have this kind of isolated idea that, you know, church is one part of my spiritual journey and then I'm, I'm reading over here and I'm learning over here, and, but it's essentially a walk alone. We, we're all walking this together. And if someone is struggling, we're not making it. I mean, we're, we're not achieving what God calls us to do unless we're going back and encouraging and pulling and bringing them. And, and so we're, we're to remember that this is a corporate mission that we, we don't get across the finish line by ourselves. This is a race we run, and we run together. We all are achieving the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We're, we're growing up in the fullness. 
part of that idea is that we can stand firm with the difficulties and adversities and the distortions and deceit and the lies that hit us. Um, so he, he gives us the, the opposite of that. You want to grow and you want to be mature so that you are no longer children. It means we, we start out with immaturity. It's to be expected. Someone comes to faith, we don't expect them to have all the, the knowledge and experience of someone who's been walking for decades. Um, when you come to faith, you realize you are fully justified. You are saved. You are part of the family, but there's still growth. There's still maturing that's going to take place, um, that, that we are children, but we are no, the hope is that we will no longer be children, that we will grow and mature that we are no longer children tossed to and fro, fro by the waves. Um, this idea of being tossed around in a storm, just being carried wherever the storm takes you, um, or carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, this deceit. Um, the, the word itself actually started with dice, if you had only known. <laughs> it, was, it, it was just kind of because the idea got to be those who threw dice were really good at cheating. You're, don't be cheated by people. Don't be deceived by different things. Um, not be blown about by everything that comes. Uh, in one sense, you have the image of a child who's a toddler who's unsteady on their feet trying to catch their way. The other is the image of a, a, a ship in a storm that's being blown and carried about. That's not what we want to be, and what he's saying is that's who we will be if we don't grow and mature. If there's any criticism of the modern evangelical church, certainly it could be the complete immaturity, almost the celebration of childishness. I mean, isn't that what's held up in so often in the church? I mean, that, that rather than expecting people to grow into maturity of what it means to be worship, we, we want worship to be something that a, a non-believer would want instead of something that shapes us and forms us in discipleship. Isn't it something where we've turned worship into entertainment because that's what the kids like? Haven't we dumbed down teaching to the point that even pastors don't even truly know the faith? Because people don't really want doctrine. They just want something that makes them feel good and help them face life. And Paul tells us that's not what the church is to be. The church is to mature. The, the, the church is to grow. The church is that we should not be like we were 10 years ago. Who I am as a Christian, if it's the same as I was when I first came to faith, there is something wrong. And there's something wrong corporately if we're not doing that because that is our goal is to grow and to mature. And so he doesn't want us to be, he wants us to grow. And part of that's in knowledge so that we're not thrown around by every doctrine, wind of doctrine. Let me, first off, <laughs> I... The Bible encourages us to have solid doctrine. Um, I, I hear certain people talk saying, um, I don't like doctrine, I only want the Bible. 
And I've never really understood what that means because doctrine means teaching. And we're encouraged to hand on sound doctrine. I think that means what I believe is just the Bible and what you believe, if it's different from me, is a doctrine. So we don't need doctrine. We just need the Bible. And what I see is just the Bible. But even that is a doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. And you need to have sound teaching. You need to understand who Jesus is, what he did for you, so that you're growing in your knowledge and you're not being thrown about by every new thing that comes away. And I, I, I say, I, I, I see a wind of doctrine every few years. It's amazing how often something begins to distract the church and people get all excited about as though it's a new discovery Forgetting, you know, we, we've been talking about all this stuff a long time. I think the current craze is um, kind of um, critical race theory, intersexuality, things like that, which is not new. That was being taught when I was in seminary, but it's kind of gotten some more traction. And, you know, other times it's going to be some meditation practice. That's going to become the fad that comes through. I'm so glad Christian bookstores have stopped. Maybe they have. Maybe I've just stopped going to Christian bookstores. That might be it. (laughs) But it seemed to have been the phase where somebody would come out with a book, and the book would be some kind of little neat thing, and you'd come out with jewelry and decorations and all this stuff to go with it, and, you know, the... Probably the Jesus calling candle set and aromatherapy. I mean, all of it kind of comes together, and that loses traction, and you get the next phase. And so you probably have gone through those. You you might have a um, drawer full of old Christian fads. And the point is, we want to stand firm in the faith that is handed down from the saints, rather than being blown around by whatever trend, whatever false, deceitful thing that they they come and they go. And here's the thing, is they're not for your good. For example, you, you might think, okay, does it really matter who Jesus was? Um, does it really matter if you believe Jesus was truly God? I mean, are, are we being just picky when we're talking about the nature of the Trinity? Uh, are we just kind of splitting hairs and talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen if we're asking about works and grace in our salvation? Well, no. If you believe that whether or not Jesus was fully God, you know, if you think, well, that, that's really not that important, what's really important is that you follow Jesus' example and do what he says. You have just destroyed your hope of salvation. Because what you're saying is Jesus was not God who comes down to save us. Jesus was a good example of the things you need to do. Therefore, to truly be saved, you need to perfectly obey God's law. And you're without hope because we daily destroy it. And so that that thing that just sounds like something theologians and people argue about is absolutely crucial to you to be mature in the faith and to stand firm from being blown by every wind of doctrine to know, yeah, I've screwed up. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace, by one who loves me and who is capable of saving me. And so every doctrine should be a doctrine that upholds us and brings us to maturity so that we don't lose hope that we don't forget who we are, that we don't forget who God is and what he is doing. 
And that's what we're called to do, to all together grow in this maturity. Let me give you a few things to ask, how am I maturing? This should be something we could just look at and say, am I growing? Am I maturing in the faith? And it should be a little bit different than it was five years ago, ten years ago, or whatever time span your faith walk is on. One is, do I hunger for God's word more? There's something about if you love Jesus and the more you love him, the more you want to know him, the more you want to spend savoring the scriptures. And likewise with prayer, how am I hungering to pray? Is prayer a chore and a habit that I'm trying to develop or is it more of I want to, I want to do this, I, I need this, this is lifeblood, to spend time with my Savior, to know him? Are you becoming more sensitive to sins in your life. One of the ironies of a maturing Christian is you become more aware of sin, and so you feel like you're a worse sinner 10 years after you've come to faith, if you are growing, than you did to begin with because the Holy Spirit is revealing sin to you. And so you feel worse when, in fact, you are maturing and you're growing. And so are you more aware of sin in your life? I realize how... Often my big sins cloud out my bigger sins. <laughs> the, the, the things in my life that I think are the sins, the more obvious and evident ones, are really clouding out the, the, the bigger issues in my heart. Are you um, growing in fruitfulness? Um, do, do you see things in your life that you would say, you know, I, I know I'm not perfect, I'm not where I need to be, but... I don't get as angry as I used to. I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. Or maybe I'm a little bit more patient than I used to be. But there's somewhere in your life you're saying, you know, three years ago I would have responded very different than that. God maybe is doing something. It's just a question of growing. And here's the thing. You don't grow by making yourself grow. You don't just say, you know, we don't go in and... Robin gets one end of Graham, and I get the other at night, and we pull him, and that's how he's getting taller. You grow by giving the right condition, the right situation, the right circumstances. Um, I'm trying a garden this year. This is my first mistake garden to see what messes up. I have huge plants with huge leaves. Vines are going all over the place. Very little fruit. Christian, is that you? Can you say I've been a believer for 10 years? I'm not bearing a lot of fruit. Maybe we need to set the right conditions. I'm learning you have to do things at the right time and the right way. Here are the right conditions to help you grow to bear fruit, not just, not just to say you've been a Christian for so long. What's well, what Lenny did. We need to know the Scripture. We need to know the Word. We need to grow in our understanding of the book because in that you know your sinfulness, you know God's righteousness, you know God's love for you and his mercy for you. You know what he calls you to be. That's how you know what God wants for you. You read, you read with brothers and sisters, you, you attend to the sermon, you hear the word and you apply it to your life. But that's not all. You just hang out with brothers and sisters. You spend time in fellowship with others who are also growing and maturing in the faith. 
in your conversation and your sharing in life and you're bearing one another's burdens and you're celebrating one another's joys is one of the ways God grows us. It's one of the conditions that he matures us and brings us to faith. And you serve others. I'm not going to advocate for a clown ministry. But there is something about humbling yourself and putting others' needs and doing things for them that grows you and matures you and shapes you. This isn't a matter of just handing on knowledge. It's knowledge is the apprenticeship that we grow in our love for one another and our service for one another. And those set the conditions in which we grow into the fullness of unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into maturity. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.